The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Good morning, my friends. We're back in a four-part series this morning called Christ Applied, and I'll preach on the doctrine of preservation. So if you have a Bible, if you could make your way to the book of Jude, the book of Jude, and we're going to deal with verse 1 and verses 24 and 25 of this, of this marvelous book here. I'm thankful to be back with you this morning. Um, our aim in this series is to redirect your attention toward matters uh, that are applicable to the Christian life. I'm trying to redirect our attention towards uh, matters that are applicable to the Christian life in order that we can reflect upon some very important gifts that you receive when God redeems you. Uh, When God redeems you at the instant of your conversion, as the Bible terms it, you're united with Christ. You become united with Christ, and it's from that union that there are some marvelous and compelling and really remarkable gifts that are bestowed, bestowed upon you as a believer. So this is important. When you're converted, you receive all of these benefits. We don't operate in a tier of Christianity where one Christian gets something that other Christians don't get. When you are converted, you are united with Christ and you receive all of these benefits that I have been preaching through um, in this four-part series. And so I, I, I really believe that I don't think there's any more appropriate time as we talk about Christ's entrance into the world, as we talk about Jesus' birth on this earth. I don't think there's any more important time to discuss to discuss what are the benefits of this and how should we think about them in in this Christmas season. And so this morning, I'm going to take some time to deal with the immeasurable grace that is bestowed upon us in the doctrine of preservation. I think think this is a gentle and a very precious truth, and in my opinion, it's, it's priceless. It's a very precious truth of the Bible, and I hope to express that to you this morning. This is a very, very sweet doctrine a very sweet doctrine that I think we should reflect upon. And I think doctrine is, uh, is the application of the Bible to your life. Theology is what does all of the Bible say and how does it apply to my life? And so doctrine should challenge you. Doctrine should compel you. It should confront you in your sin. But sometimes doctrine should just comfort you. Doctrine should comfort you. And this is a gentle and precious comfort for us this morning. So let us pray. And then we will jump off into this precious truth. Benevolent Father, the source of our staying power as children of God, grant us hearts that are mendable to your truths and eyes to see. Hold me up. Hold me up as simply a man that aims to unfold the truths of your grace. And may my verses, may my verses be for the praise of a king. We petition you in, we petition you for these things in Christ name. The book of Jude, to the letter, this is the letter of Jude, hear the inspired words of Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. The way he opens this letter and the way he closes it in a doxology is going to be very helpful for us this morning, I hope. Hear the greeting in the book of Jude. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus, a brother of James. This is, this is an important overview of this doctrine of preservation right here in 1b. To those who are called Beloved in God the Father, you're beloved in God the Father. That's a particular thing. The Father is very important words for us. We're going to examine that. And you're kept for Jesus Christ. 
And then look at verse 24 here. He gives us some more detail about this. I'm going to preach through this as well. Verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We're going to talk about some of that joy next week if you'll show up for that. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time in eternity past, now, and forever. Amen. I chose this particular book of Jude here in order to discuss the doctrine of preservation because in a way, the the way this letter opens and closes, this letter is bookended in a way that I think will give us real clarity on how scripture directs us to understand this doctrine of preservation here. He opens with a greeting and he greets these group of Christians and he tells them you've been called, you're beloved in God the Father and you're kept for Jesus Christ. It's written to Christians and then in the rest of this letter he proceeds to unfold some difficult situations. These Christians are in the middle of a difficult climate. They're in the middle of a difficult climate with false teachers. There's this appeal to them to fall away from the faith. And so he's dealing with all of this stuff in this letter. If you were to walk through it, it's not unsimilar to what you deal with outside of this church. It's not unsimilar to the climate that we deal with currently. And he closes this letter with an important doxology. And he gives us the nature of the preservation in this doxology. And I'll get into the details of that later. So what is preservation? When I talk this $7 word and I give you this word, what do I mean? What do I mean by this? It sounds kind of funny. I'm preserved. It sounds like God's making you a log or something. But preservation is the belief that Christians, those who have experienced and stand under the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have experienced salvation, have experienced the gospel of justification. We've been talking about that for some weeks now. You will remain, look at the wording there, you will remain or be kept in the faith until the end. This is an important truth for you. I'm going to give you the details of all this. You will not permanently fall away from the faith, okay? If you do, we believe the Bible says that you were never to convert it to begin with. You will struggle with sin. There may be a resistance to God in your life. The Bible even deals with this phrase called backsliding. I don't have time to get into that this morning, but that's a truth. The the Bible says you can backslide from the faith, but the truth is that the central truth to this, it's all throughout the Bible. I'm gonna preach it to you this morning is that if God has called you, look at the words there. If he's called you, he's beloved you in God the Father, he will keep you for Jesus Christ and your faith will endure to the end. You'll make it. This is such a precious truth for you. This is a grace from God. Just like justification, just like sanctification, this doctrine is a pure grace from God and it's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ applied to your life. This is a precious truth for us. So in the opening, let's look at the greeting details here. 1B. In the opening greeting of this letter, we see a note here about the author and then he goes to this statement and I think Jude gives us an overview of preservation here. He tells us to those who are called, to those who are beloved in God the Father, that's such a beautiful truth for us. Good grief, I hope we can get that this morning. And you're kept for Jesus Christ. So Jude is writing this letter to Christians. They're dealing with false teachers. They're in difficult times. And he's giving this this sweet, enduring, this beautiful greeting here. It's a divine statement. It's so beautiful to me. He's telling these Christians that you're called, you're beloved in God the Father, and you're kept for Jesus Christ. This is the general idea of preservation here. 
If God calls you, he's gonna hold you in himself as a beloved child and he's gonna keep you for Jesus Christ. So do you hear that? A child of God, you're called, you're beloved, and you're kept. It's such a precious truth for us. He called you, he loves you, and by his tender mercy, he will keep you. Hear the words of the Bible. And then in the doxology of this, in verse 24 and 25, it says that Jude circles back around and he gives us some elements that he's been dealing with in the greeting. And I think he unfolds this a little bit more for us in this text here. He gives us the foundation or the aim of preservation. There's a foundation and an aim of it. So these folks are again, these folks that he's writing to him are again, at the end, he's comforting them again with God's ability to keep them, to preserve them He's comforting it with them and he's giving them this 30,000 foot overview of this about the beginning. These are the three things that I'm gonna deal with from this text today. He's giving us the beginning, he's giving us the foundation and he's giving us the aim of preservation. When does preservation begin? What is the foundation of this doctrine? And what is the aim of it? What are we supposed to do with all of this? So the beginning of this is this word he used called here. He says to those who are called, this is the beginning of the doctrine here. This is the beginning of preservation. How does preservation begin in your life? This word here called is synonymous. I think it's synonymous or equal to discipled, discipleship. As a Christian, God God has called me to preach the gospel. He's called me to be a disciple. Wherever you're at in the kingdom of God, he's called you to be a disciple. He's not writing this letter to pastors. He's writing this letter to Christians. And he's saying that God has called you. And so the beginnings of preservation is found in your calling to be a disciple. How are you held in salvation till the end? How are you held in salvation to the end? It's it's in part because you've been called to be a disciple. The Bible makes these sharp distinctions between disciples and everyone else. There's no middle ground. It makes these sharp distinctions all throughout the Bible about this. This is why our mission statements, why we take discipleship so seriously around here. You're held in salvation because you have been, you've been called to be a disciple. These Christians are being reminded that they are called, which means that God has redeemed them. He's drawn them out for his own purposes. He's regenerated them. He's saved them. He's justified them for the purpose of discipleship. This is by no doing of their own. So preservation begins with being called. It begins with being justified. Do you see how all this is fitting together? I'm going somewhere with all of this. It's called, it's, it's, being part of, it's part of you being justified, repentance and belief in the gospel. So your preservation, it begins in your position as a disciple. You've been called. Only the true disciple will make it till the end. Only the true disciple will make it to the end. So look at, look at what he does in, in, in verse. If you have a Bible open here, you can look at what he does in verse uh, 20 up above here. In verse 20, I think this is important to us. So this discipleship element is, 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 is part of your calling as well, but it's also indicative of a human element to preservation. This is what I mean by this. Look at this. In verse 20, he says, but you beloved. I'm gonna talk to you about that word beloved. It says you, it's, he's telling them, he's exhorting them to build yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is a call to human responsibility in this. 
Someone says, does God hold you in preservation or do you hold yourself in preservation? It's the same side of one, it's two sides of one coin. There's a human aspect to discipleship. Fidelity to Christ comes because of a requirement to you. God is the source of this, but to take up your cross, I want you to get this, to take up your cross as a disciple and to persevere to the end means that with fear and trembling and the power of the spirit, you undertake suffering and sorrow and you war against yourself and the sin of this broken world with godly courage. That's what that means. The very presence, if you don't grab anything else I'm saying today, grab this. The very presence of that tension, of that fight in your life, sanctification, we talked about this, that we're in a war. The very presence of that means that you are persevering. You see how it's connected? God justifies you, he sanctifies you. The mere presence of that fight means that you are persevering. God is holding you in the faith. So to take up your cross means that with fear and trembling and the power of the spirit, you undertake suffering, sorrow, and you war against yourself in a broken world with a godly courage. You war against the things of this world with courage. The very presence of the fight means that God is preserving you. It's godly courage. Trials, they'll come. Trials will come to you. Some of you are dealing with some difficult things right now. And I just want to say to you, they require effort and steadfastness on your part. They will require you, the human agent, the human involved in this, they will require you to see them through with effort and steadfastness. This is your call as a disciple to be accountable. This is your call to a disciple to be as accountable. But alas, in the middle of the war... Alas, there is a foundation. There is a source that will uphold you when your knees are weak and your hands droop. There is a source that will hold you from stumbling and it is God Almighty. So we see that your call to be a disciple, it begins the process of preservation. It be- you actually are preserved. You don't, it doesn't begin a process. You are when you're called to be a disciple. That, it gives, you the, that gives you the start of this. It be- it's the beginning of it. And there's another element to preservation, the foundation. What's the foundation of this doctrine? The foundation of this doctrine, I think this is the sweetest truth in this entire sermon here. It's so good. I wish we talked about it more. The foundation of this doctrine is the Father's grace and adoption. You understand that? This is the foundation. In other words, your call, your, you, your call is your call the source of your security in Jesus Christ? No. The source, the foundation is your adoption as a child of God. It's so beautiful to me. The the primary source of preservation is God's grace. It's not just any type of grace. It's God's fatherly grace in adoption. Do you realize that when God justifies you through Jesus Christ, the Father, God the Father, God the Father, he adopts you as his child. Do you realize that? Look at the opening text in verse one. You see verse one gives you the notion that you're beloved by the Father. He says that you're called and you're beloved in God the Father. The Father, the Father, you're beloved in God the Father. This is very particular wording here and it should be so sweet to us. It should overflow into your heart. You have a Father. If you've been justified, you have a Father that has called you. He's justified you through the blood of Jesus Christ and now he upholds you in the palm of his hand. 
This is such a precious truth for us. God's grace to you in adoption as a precious child is the source of your preservation. It is the foundation. Don't leave here today without understanding that. Why does he do this for you and I? Why does he do this for you and I? It's due to no obligation or duty. It's because of his grace. You're beloved not by your own merit. He saw nothing in you fitting to do this, but he did it in spite of your brokenness. He adopted you in spite of your brokenness. This is overwhelming to me. It's overwhelming to me. It speaks to God's love and salvation whereby the Father, the Father, the Father, he brings the kingdom, he brings you into a kingdom as his child by the person and work of Jesus Christ and he holds you there by his tender and delicate balance. The Father, he does this for you. He does this for me. What does it mean when God has adopted you as a child through Jesus Christ? It means that you're his beloved. You're his beloved. You're held forth as his precious child and you're rooted in his love. How sweet and endearing is the father who has adopted you by his grace, by the clarity and power of holy scriptures and under the, God, the, under the authority of God the father. If you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in, faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You're beloved. You've been adopted by the father under the grace of Jesus Christ and you're rooted in his love. Don't ever let it go. Don't ever let it go. This means that the Father's eyes are upon you. This means that he is patient with you even in backsliding. It means that he's patient with you. If you're far away from God in this moment, if you're far away from God in this moment, hear me, he's patient. He's patient. He's been so patient with me. And I want to tell you by the eyes, by the authority of the Bible, God is patient with you and his eyes are upon you. Come to him. You're grounded in his adoption. Find rest in this truth. Find rest in the hands of a heavenly father that's called you to himself, that's beloved you and that's rooted you in his love. Being beloved means that you are kept for Jesus Christ by God the Father. Never let it go. Hold on to this truth during the Christmas season. You're being kept based upon your adoption. That's the grounding of the doctrine of preservation. What's the aim of this doctrine, Brit? What is the aim of this? The aim of this is that God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, must be glorified. It might be, it is, the aim of it is that Jesus Christ might be glorified as he presents you blameless with great joy. Do you see the kicker on that verse? With great joy. If you show up next week, I'm going to talk to you about that verse. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you about glorification. I'm going to tie a bow on all of this. I'm going somewhere with all of this. I'm going to tie a bow on all this. I'm going to weave it into the Christmas narrative, and I'm going to understand to you what it means for God to, God to present you blameless with great joy. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth, this. So don't miss that. But the aim of preservation is to keep you for his glory and to present you blameless under the name of Jesus Christ. What kind of God do we serve if he can't do it? What kind of God do we serve if he can't do this? That's the aim of it all. And so these, every week I've been giving you the doctrine of it. I've been giving you some truth about this stuff. Some of you are tracking with this, some of you are not. And then, I'm, then I've been telling you, what are we supposed to do with this, Brit? What's the purpose of this doctrine? What's our response to this doctrine? What's the application of all this? What are we supposed to do with all of this? And I've got a couple things for you here. 
This is, I want you to listen to this very carefully. I think that this doctrine, I think it ought to inflame or lift up or heighten or make you more sensitive to what the true marks of a Christian are. If you deal with this doctrine, if you understand this doctrine and you're wrestling with it in your head and you believe that God's called you, you believe that he's adopted you as a beloved child and you believe that he's keeping you for Jesus Christ, you will be more sensitive. You have to deal with the question of what are the true marks of a Christian. I've been in this ball game a while. <laughs> I know I look young, but I've been in this a while. And I know that there's some of you right now probably thinking, how do I know that I'm even in this doctrine? And so you have to deal with the true marks of a Christian. If you're going to believe the Bible on this doctrine, then you have, to, you have to ask yourself, you need to know, how do you even know if you're a Christian? How do I identify myself as a Christian? And how do I aim to live out the Christian life? How do you know you're a Christian? And how can you be, even be assured that you're a Christian? And so I want to say to you, there's sort of two sides of this that you need to be aware of. Some of you doubt your salvation. I know this. Some of you right now looking at me doubt your salvation. And I want to say to you, it's not abnormal. You're not a horrible person. You're not less of a Christian if you're struggling with. This is normal for you. This is not my first rodeo. And so I want you to know, I, there, there, I, I want you to know that if you're struggling with this, you're not, you're not abnormal. This is normal. And the second part of it is some of you need to, I'm just being honest with you, some of you need, and I have to do this myself, is to check myself to even say, am I living out the marks of a Christian? Some of you need to be asking the question, am I even justified? Am I even part of God's kingdom? Has God called me to this? Am I even saved? And if so, how do I know? I think there's a number of ways that, we're, that we, you can identify a Christian. You can ask yourself if even I'm a Christian. There's a lot of uh, resources out there. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. But here's, here's four really quick things that you need to think through. How do you even know if you're a true child of God? The first one is you love people. You love God's people. First John gives us this. This is why we're so big on church membership. We believe that the Bible teaches that if you are a true Christian, you want to be in fellowship with other Christians. You love God's people. This is a mark of being a Christian. This is why we think it's so important to dig in and be involved with a group of Christians. If you don't love Christians and you're isolated from them, you have to ask yourself, am I even a Christian? Because the Bible's clear on this stuff. Number two, are you willing, this is an important word, are you willingly obeying God's commandments, a.k.a. God's will? We talked about this in sanctification. There's gospel obedience and legal obedience. Are you, gospel, are you trying to live out gospel obedience with a heartfelt dedication to God? I fall short on this stuff all the time, but there's not many days that I wake up that I don't want to be better than I am. The presence of the struggle the presence of the fight is indicative that you are being preserved. The presence of the fight. Love for God. Number three, seriously, do you love God? Do you love God? Do you love truth? Does truth excite you? I know I'm passionate. <laughs> I know I get fired up about this stuff, but I love this stuff. I love truth. I love hearing from God. Even if it hurts me, even if it's painful to me, even if it, even if it is like a sharp sword, I love God's truth in my life. It's not pleasant all the time, but I love it. How do I know I'm a Christian? I love God's truth. And the fourth thing is, do you have a disdain for sin? We believe that true Christians, they don't live in unrepentant sin. Do you have a disdain for sin? Look at me. Sin is miserable to me. 
It's so miserable to me. Do you have a disdain for sin? What I'm getting at is that preservation, the fact that God will keep you until Jesus, until the end, it should inflame your desire or your sensitivity for the true marks of a Christian. If you believe that God is faithful and that he holds you in the palm of your hand, you should have an inflamed love for God's people. You should, it should drive you to gospel obedience. It should heighten your love for God and his truth. And it should give you a deep hatred, a deep disdain for sin. Let me just say, and as an aside, if you're struggling with Christianity or you're doubting your faith, there are some people that I know personally that have written some incredible stuff on this. And they'll give you some comfort on it. I'm gonna get it out there for you this week on social media. There's some books, a dear man, dear friends of mine have written on this stuff. There's, there's answers to this. God doesn't, he doesn't, I'm gonna talk to you about this in a minute, but he wants you to have security in this stuff. And so I'm gonna get that out there. Are you aflame for the God? Do you have a love for God's people? Do you wanna be gospel obedient? Do you have a love for God and his truth? And do you disdain sin? Does sin make you uncomfortable? The second thing that I think this doctrine should do, how do we apply it to our life? I think it's a comfort to you. This truth should be a comfort to you as an obedient. Look at me, God, I, I say, when I meet with people, I say this all the time because I see it so much. God is, if you're a child of God, if you're not a child of God, this is a different, different deal. But if you're a child of God, God is not a God of anxiety. You understand that? God is not holding you at your throat and the moment you flinch, he's gonna snap you. That's not the God of the Bible that we deal with. This is why he gives you this truth. If you're outside the faith, you're, not, you're, you're still a child of wrath. But if you're inside the faith, you're his beloved child. And he doesn't create anxiety in your life. I believe that. I believe that. He's given you truth. He's given you the people of God. He's given you clarity about these things to comfort you, to give you comfort in all of this. The doctrine of preservation is given to you by God's kindness in order that you might fight a life of anxiety. He's not a God of anxiety. Sometimes we're tempted to think of God as just like, he's just got his hand right there and he's gonna thump me as soon as I flinch. But if you're a child of God and you're in his kingdom, he's not a God of anxiety. He's not a God of anxiety. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I've sat with people that don't see this doctrine in the Bible. They're our brothers and sisters and they don't see this. And I'll be honest, I don't know how they get out of bed in the morning. It breaks my heart. God's truth to you, I told you in the beginning, his truth to you is a comfort for you. He reveals truth to you to comfort you. The doctrine of preservation. And finally, what does this doctrine do for you? It provides hope in the midst of difficulty. I told you a few weeks back that the idea of hope, hope is a confident expectation in the promises of God and his faithfulness. Hope is a confident expectation in the promises of God and his faithfulness. The mere fact that the Bible, the promises of God, where do we get the promises of God from? We get them from the scriptures. The mere fact that God unfolds this truth to you whereby he's assured you based upon the father's adoption, whereby he's assured you upon that and he'll hold you from stumbling and present you blameless. The fact or promise that this is even in the Bible, it should lead you to hope. This is the Christmas season. It's great to celebrate Jesus' birth, but what, what was all of it about? It was for to bring these truths into your life, to bring these promises to you. You can live every day with a confident expectation that God will be faithful. This is hope. This is a type of lifestyle that should give you strength and resolve in the midst of whatever difficulty you're facing. You can confidently expect that God will fulfill his promise based upon his strength and faithfulness. 
This is why you have to keep justification right here. That's why you have to keep the gospel right in front of you. It's because your hope depends on his strength and his faithfulness. Justification is the source of everything I've been preaching on this. If you get justification wrong, if you get the, the, uh, the gospel wrong, all of this falls apart. It all falls apart. If, you're justified, if he'll justify you, hear this truth by the authority of God Almighty. If he'll justify you, he'll sanctify you. And if he's sanctifying you, he'll, he's preserving you. And if he's preserving you, he'll be faithful to bring you to full glorification. This is Christ applied to the church. This is Christ applied to your life. This is Christ that is applied to you as a child of God. The Christ extended to you by the benevolent mercy of God Almighty. A God that calls you. A God that holds you as a beloved child in the palm of his hand. And is keeping you for final glorification. This is the Christ that is applied to you as a child of God. The Christ, the Almighty, the one of glory, the one of majesty, the one of dominion, the one of authority. This is the Christ that is able to keep you from falling. The one that confirms you until the end. The one that holds you in the hand of of the Father and he places the fear of the Lord in your heart that you might be kept from departing from him. He keeps you in the power of God through faith until salvation. The one that preserves you from the curse of the law. The one that retains you from the evil of this world. The one that holds you in isolation from the touch of the evil one. By the effectual calling of God Almighty, deposit your soul in the hands of Jesus Christ that he might keep you. That he might hold you. That he might embrace you in spite of your sheer and overt faults until his everlasting kingdom has come. This is the Christ. This is the faithful one. This is the one that will keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of God's glory with great joy. This is the doctrine of preservation. This is the doctrine of preservation for the beloved child of God. Thanks be to God for his adoption through the grace of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful for your faithfulness to uphold us. I'm thankful that when we're even weak, God, you give us strength. And so I pray, hold us fast. Hold us fast in the gospel whereby we're justified and sanctified and we're preserved for a future glorification that will come. We're called to be confessional people so we confess that Jesus is the Savior and he's, he's come that we might know him. He's come that he might be freely made available to us that he might be available to us, Father, that we might know you and we might come to faith. So break our hearts for this truth and give us a longing expectation for the final glorification which will come, which will come in the person and work of Jesus Christ as well. We pray all of his name, amen.